pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here this morning. Lord, we are grateful for the hope that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask as we come to a time of worship now through the study of your word, that you would be with us, that you would open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear and receive what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, we pray that we would be changed because we have heard and listened and, and put your word into practice. God, we pray not only for our church, but we pray for the other churches in Georgetown where your gospel is proclaimed. Heavenly Father, we pray for Macedonia Baptist Church and their pastor, Jimmy Johnson, this morning. Lord, we ask that as he preaches, as, as their body listens, that they would, too would be changed. And Father, we are grateful to have many brothers and sisters in Christ who are committed to the same mission, called by the same Lord, to reach every man, woman, and child with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in your Son's name. Amen. I want to ask you this morning, what would you be willing to give up for someone that you love? What would you be willing to give up for someone that you love? In 2012, there was a couple who was married in Australia, and the wife brought home 550 adopted cats. Talk about your crazy cat ladies, all right? Not all of them are single, okay? So she brings home these cats, and the husband starts complaining, look, he's like, I can't get, I can't get in the rooms that I need to get into. The cats are climbing up on the table, and they're eating the food. You know, cats are gross animals anyways. They, like, sit their rear end right on your counter. Uh, I mean, come on, they're cats, right? And so he's like, look, we got to do something about these cats. Like, maybe we keep one or two. And they actually end up going in, uh, uh, going before the court uh, to see if they can mediate this. And uh, they actually end up getting a divorce. Eventually, the husband says, hey, it's me or the cats. And she's like, I choose the cats. Uh, part of me wonders if that was her plan all along, was to get rid of her husband. But it ends up in divorce. She says, I, I love you more than I love the cats. I, I'm sorry, I love the cats more than I love you. She wasn't willing to give them up. So I want to ask you, what, what would you be willing to give up for someone that you love? Um, those of you who've been with us for a while know that we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians, and this is one of the very questions that the Corinthian church is facing. You, we know that there's a lot of division, there's a lot of fighting and pride and different things happening in the Corinthian church, and one of the things that's happened is they're facing this question of, what am I willing to give up for the people that I love? Like many other, of the other churches in the New Testament, um, this church is made up of people from different backgrounds, some of them from Jewish backgrounds, some of them from Greek and Roman backgrounds, and uh, there was a, a big argument early on. In fact, you can read about it in Acts chapter 15 about should we eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols or not? And for some, this was causing them to fight and argue about, well, we know that those idols are nothing. We know they're not real. So yeah, it's just meat. Like we can eat the meat. But for others, it was a matter of, hey, I'm, I just came out of paganism. I just came out of worshiping those gods. And it, it's something in me just doesn't feel right. Right? It's, it's kind of messing with my conscience here. In Romans 14, Paul says, hey, there are some things that will always be sin. Right? Murder is always going to be sin. You can't be like, ah, well, you know, my conscience says it's okay. So for me, it's not sin. Murder will always be sin. 
right? Certain things are always going to be sin, but there are some gray areas in the Christian life where we have freedom. And for some people, they have the freedom to do certain things. But then there's others who are just as saved by the same grace of Jesus Christ, and they look at that action and they're like, ah, you know, I just, like something doesn't feel right. And Paul says, hey, if that's your conscience, if you can't do this activity, if you can't eat this meat and be okay with it, then for you to eat it would be sin. But there's this big argument because there's also now pressure from the people who do say, hey, I have this freedom, I can eat this meat, I can do this, I can go to this party and it's not a problem for me. And they're coming to the others and saying, come on, like, come on, just, just do it, just do it, right? Just join us. What's the problem? And those people are saying, man, I just can't do it in good conscience, but just so you'll get off my back or maybe there's something wrong with me, I'll go ahead and do it anyways. And Paul says, man, that's, that's causing your brother or sister to sin. And uh, this is one of the things that they're wrestling with is how do we handle our freedom in Christ? How do we handle this freedom? And this is not, uh, not something that's been settled. There are many people who still wrestle and struggle with this freedom. Like, what kind of movies can I and can't I watch as a Christian? What kind of music should I listen to? What kind of stuff should I drink? Like, is it okay for me to drink alcohol or is that not okay? Should I dance? Should I not dance? And I can tell you from my, like the church I grew up in, like that was a big deal. In fact, on our, at our wedding, uh, Amanda and I had dancing and I was working for a church where most of the people did not dance. And when we had dancing, they left. Um, like for them, it was just too much. You know, they just couldn't handle it. And I was like, man, we're, <laughs> we have that freedom, you know? Uh, so I get it. I understand that there's these gray areas. And so we got to figure out how do we wrestle through this? And Paul's, Paul's struggle here is, is, as I mentioned, the issue of eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And this was such a big deal now that Paul's been sent out by the church in Jerusalem to reach these Gentile places throughout the Roman world. They actually brought this question back because there were a group of people who said, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be Jewish first. Like, you've got to get circumcised, you've got to go through this whole big ordeal, and you've got to follow all the Jewish laws. And so the question comes back to the, to the apostles, the original disciples, and they're like, we don't know. Like, we've got to pray about this, we've got to figure this out. And eventually what they decide is, you know what? Our forefathers couldn't keep the law. We ourselves couldn't keep the law. So we're not going to make it hard for the Gentiles who are coming to Christ to have faith in Christ by enforcing them to keep the law. We, we are now free in Christ to do that. But they give them a few stipulations in Acts chapter 15. They say this, they say, For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours to put no greater burden on you than these necessary things, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. So they write them this letter. And they, uh, they say, hey, you don't have to be circumcised. And I love that shortly after that it says, and all the churches rejoiced, right? So I'm sure that was the men who were doing the rejoicing on that one. So they give them these rules. And one of them is meat sacrificed to idols. Don't, don't eat it. Why? Because there was just too much, great, uh, too much potential for it to look like you're participating in the idol worship. Well, let's fast forward to the Corinthian church. See, what's happening in the Corinthian church is that uh, you know, there's the temples in their city were kind of this place of, of uh, s- social gatherings. 
It was like the, the restaurants. You would go out to eat at a restaurant. There'd be a big party, and you would go there, and you would eat the food that was set before you. There was also the issue that sometimes the meat that was sold in the marketplace was left over from the sacrifices that were offered in these temples. The priests would get a portion of that meat, and since they couldn't eat it all, they would make money by just selling the meat in the temple, uh, in the marketplace. And so they could, you could be going to someone's house, and they're like, buying the meat at the marketplace, and you don't even know. And so they're really wrestling with this issue. And I think when, when the apostles are writing about the meat sacrificed to idols, I think he's pretty clear up front. He's, they're saying, hey, look, if you, if you know the meat was sacrificed to an idol, someone says to you, hey, this was sacrificed to an idol, don't eat it. Like, out of the sake of their conscience, don't eat it, okay? Uh, we don't want to appear that we're, we're worshiping those idols in any way, so just be really, really careful so what are the Corinthians supposed to do? Are they not supposed to go to their friends' homes for dinner? I mean, Paul's already said in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, hey, don't disassociate yourself from unbelievers. Like, you need to be interacting with unbelievers. If you're not interacting with unbelievers, how are they ever going to hear the gospel? Are they supposed to just become vegetarians? I'm not in favor of that. Don't put me down for that one, right? So what are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to do and this is where we get to our, um, our passage today. Uh, one side of the argument is saying, look, we get it. These are false gods. We can do what we want, so we're just going to eat the meat. And the other side uh, that Scripture is going to label as the weaker, and I, I think these are terms that, that the Corinthian church is using in terms of stronger and weaker. I don't think these are terms that are meant to degrade anybody or terms that even Paul himself is using. I think these are their terms that he's going to use for the sake of argument where they label themselves stronger and weaker. And I want to be upfront about something. When, when we read about the weaker brother, okay, the weaker brother is not someone who's just offended by what you do, right? There are lots of Christians who take it upon themselves to be offended by every freedom that you have in Christ. And they want to tell you what to do and they want to put you under the yoke of slavery to the law and say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. All right, that's called legalism. And Paul doesn't really care for that very much, right? We can read more about that in Galatians chapter 2. And so this is not someone who's just offended by what you're doing, but this is someone who's watching your behavior, who's following your example, yet whose conscience is not fully informed of the freedoms that they have in Christ. And so when they follow your example, for them it is sin. For you, it may be a freedom, but for them, it is sin. And so when Paul talks about the weaker conscience, he's saying, hey, you've got to be careful that those that you're leading uh, aren't falling into sin because they don't yet know what you know, right? So does that make sense? So this is not just about being offended. This is about actually leading other, people's toward, other people towards sin, okay? Does that make sense? So let's look at our passage this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, we're going to see a couple things here. And uh, let's just look at the text. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Excuse me, chapter 8. Paul says, Now about food to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love does what? What does it say? Love builds up. Builds up. Love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know, know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. The first thing that I want us to see is that true knowledge is demonstrated through love. True knowledge is demonstrated by love. Christian behavior is founded 
on love, not on knowledge. And the goal of Christian life is not knowledge, but love. Did you catch all that? The goal of our Christian life is not to memorize and know everything that's in here, but to put it in practice with love. Yes, we need to know what Scripture says. We need to know what our Bibles have to say. But as we put it into practice, we need to do it with love. And we need to be careful in the way that we do things. You see, the Corinthians who were writing this letter to Paul, many of them viewed themselves as the stronger. They thought they were more spiritual, that they were better because they knew these certain things and they were able to take care of that freedom. Their knowledge in their minds gave them power and it made them proud. But pride shows itself in the way that they scoffed at their other brothers and sisters in Christ. The way that they disapproved of the, they, the way that they were choosing to live. And that they would taunt them. Come on, guys. Come on, just eat with us. Just eat with us. Come on, don't you know? Don't you know the freedom that we have in Jesus? I think what's really sad is that these quote-unquote stronger brothers and sisters were actually the weaker ones. They were actually the weak ones because they didn't really know First John 4, 20 and 21 says this, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother, has, he has seen, cannot love the God he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother. So what Paul is saying here, when he says that the one who claims to know, but is, is doing this stuff, doesn't actually know the way that he ought to know. He's fooled. He's deceived himself into thinking that he really knows. John just said, hey, if you claim to love God, but you don't love your brother or sister in Christ, you're a liar. You don't know God. And this is the difference between knowing about God and knowing God intimately. Having a real relationship with God. We know the greatest commandment that Jesus gives is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot separate the two. You can't say, well, I love God, but I'm going to treat my brother or sister this way. I'm going to treat the person this way. No, you can't do that. The two are united because God loves that person. And if the love of God is in you, then your love for them will also come through. We see some other things here. One of the the ways that I like to think about this is celebrities, right? What's the difference between knowing God and knowing about God? So think about maybe one of your heroes. For me, Craig Biggio was a big one of those as a kid. Like I, I used to know all of his stats. Like I knew everything about him. Uh, but I guarantee if I walked up to Craig Biggio, he would not know who I am, right? Uh, we've got some other examples here. My kids, their favorite football player is J.J. Watt, right? J.J. Watt, again, we know a lot about him, but we do not know him. Uh, another one coming up, Super Bowl, Tom Brady. I labeled this picture cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater, right? (laughs) Even in the NFL, you're not allowed to touch Tom Brady without a flag. Like, you just can't do it. I believe there's actually a penalty called touching Tom Brady um, or breathing on him. If you get close, then then that's that's like 10 yards. Uh, You may know a lot about him, but I guarantee if you tried to touch him, you would be tackled, right? We got some others up here. We got some uh, Kim Kardashian, right? You watch the show, you may know about her, but no way that you're getting close to her. I put some in here for, uh, for those from a different generation. I think we got Paul McCartney in here, right? 
Yeah. You may know about the Beatles, but good luck trying to get close to him, right? You don't know him, and he doesn't know you. And the reality is this, that many of us walk around with knowledge of God's word. We know about God. We know about his character. But because we lack that intimate relationship, we can't really claim to know God. And we demonstrate the reality that we don't really know God in the way that we treat other people. In fact, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees about this. In John chapter 5, the Pharisees uh, and Jesus are having this interaction. Jesus says, you love the scriptures because they point you to eternal life. But you've totally missed the point. The scriptures don't give you eternal life. They point you to me, and I will give you eternal life. If you came to me, if you really knew the scriptures, you would come to me and I would give you eternal life. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, you've taken this. You've taken this good thing that God has given you, and you've turned it into a lowercase g God thing. You've made this your idol. You've made this your God that you're worshiping. And it's sad that all across America, there are many Christians who have taken their scripture, they've taken worship, things that that are meant to point us to God, and they've allowed them to become a God for them. There's a big difference between knowing God and knowing about God. God's desire is that we would know him, and we would show that we know him by the way that we love others. It's really sad when the, the way that we value knowledge over love becomes a demonstration of our immaturity in Christ. And the whole point of this letter for Paul and many of his other letters is that we would be building each other up towards maturity. Paul uses this term. He says, hey, knowledge puffs up is what some translations say. Puffs up with pride, but love builds up. His call is for them to walk next to their brothers and sisters in Christ and to build them up build them up to maturity, that they would be able to walk more closely with God. Let's keep going. Verses 4 through 6, he says, About food offered to idols then, we know, and he's quoting their argument, an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, lowercase g, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. Verse 6, he says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father of all things, from him, And uh, all things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, and all things are through him, and we exist through him. The next thing I want us to see is this, that knowledge must be balanced by love. Knowledge must be balanced by love. Paul's, and just so you know, Paul's approach to correcting this error is that he's going to kind of make it look like he's siding with the people who are complaining. He's going to make it look like he agrees with them. Uh, But then he's going to lower the hammer when we get to chapter 10. So just don't think that Paul's going easy on these people. In fact, in chapter 10, verse 14, he's very clearly going to say, flee from idolatry, right? He's going to say, we need to flee from it. We need to run from it. We need to have absolutely nothing to do with it. But what does he want us to know here? Is that knowledge must be balanced by love. Our knowledge of the word of God, our knowledge of God must be balanced by love. Many people think that when Ephesians 4.15 says, hey, we're to speak the truth in love, that means we get to say, hey man, your breath stinks. I'm just speaking the truth in love. Like, I love you. And we totally totally miss the point. If you jump down to verse 21 in that same chapter, 
Paul says Jesus is the truth. The truth is found in Jesus. So the truth that we need to be speaking in love is the gospel. We need to be reminding each other of that, of who we are in Jesus Christ. Paul goes on, and I love this. He uses their own logic against them. He says, okay, so idols are nothing, right? We all know this. We all get this, right? We all have this knowledge. These idols are nothing. So if these idols are nothing and God doesn't approve or disapprove us based on what we eat, then it shouldn't be anything for you to give up eating that meat, should it? It's meaningless, right? So why not give it up? Why not give it up out of love for your brother so that they're not tempted to sin? Why not love them enough to do that? And I love this, that the the stronger Christians are saying, yeah, but we're right. We're right. We're right. And Paul says, yeah, you may be right, but the way you're doing it is wrong. It doesn't matter how right you are if you take the wrong approach. It doesn't matter how right you are when you start enforcing things on other people and you do it with a lack of love. Your knowledge must be balanced by love. They were right in their doctrine, yet they were wrong in the way that they were showing it and and wrong in the way that they were approaching their brothers and sisters in Christ. They needed to balance their knowledge with love. Let's keep going. Last section here. Verse 7, however, do not let everyone, not everyone has this knowledge. What's he saying? He's saying that some people in the Corinthian church, they know these things, like they get it, they, they know it intellectually, but their conscience is still struggling. Like they just can't get over the fact that this meat was sacrificed to an idol. In fact, some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat the food offered to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Now again, Weak does not mean that they're just offended for the sake of being offended, right? Weak means that they're really struggling through this because they've come out of idolatry. He says, food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we do not eat. We are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has this knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? What's he saying? Again, the weak person is the one who sees another Christian doing something and is not grown yet enough to understand the reason why they have this freedom, the reason they can do these things, and their mind still says, this feels like sin, but, you know, Stephen's doing it, so I guess I can do it, maybe. kind of feels wrong but I'm going to do it anyways, right? So they sin against their own conscience. Then the weak person, the brother for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against the brothers and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. That's a pretty strong statement from Paul. What's he saying here? He's saying that our relationships must be valued over our rights or being right. We must value our relationships over our rights and over being right. You know, this goes back to what we saw in 1 Corinthians 7 in the discussion about husbands and wives, that we have to value our responsibilities more than our rights. It's the same thing. In that same section, Paul talks about divorce. And here, I think, he gets to an even greater divorce the divorce between knowledge and love. 
When we completely separate those two, we damage every relationship that we have. Liberty is limited by love. Our liberty should be limited by our love for our other person. We ought to love them enough to say, you know what, I have this freedom, but for your sake, I'm, I'm going to choose not to partake in that freedom. Stephen and I were talking about this earlier this week, uh, and he had a very similar experience to me. When I was a youth pastor, I did youth ministry for a number of years. I started when I was 19, and then the time came when I turned 21. I turned 21, and I was able to drink. I was able to drink, but you know what? Those 13, 14, 15, 16, 18-year-old kids that I was leading, if they were to drink, that would have been against the law, and I would have been leading them to sin. Now, here's the struggle that I always had. Yes, I have the freedom, and I know that I'm legal, but a 16-year-old who sees me drinking or sees it in my refrigerator is not going to make the connection that Charlie's 21 and he's able to do this. What they're going to see is, hey, Charlie does this. It must be all right, so I'm going to go out and do this. And they never make the connection that I'm legal and they're not. So when I was a youth pastor, I just made the decision, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to keep it in my house, because the last thing I want is for some kid to see me or to see it in my refrigerator and think, oh, this must be okay, and they go raid mom's and dad's refrigerator or a friend's parents' refrigerator, and the next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call that, hey, our kid's, uh, kid's in juvie, right? Kid got arrested tonight, got an MIP. That's the last thing that I would want. I have friends who I know in their history, before they came to Christ, they struggled with alcohol. So when they come to my house, I don't offer it to them. I don't usually grab it for myself. I just give up that right. Temporarily, right? I think Paul's intent when he says, hey, I'll never eat meat again, Paul's making a really strong statement. But I don't think Paul became a vegetarian. I think the intent was this, hey, we have to value the relationship so much that we're willing to temporarily give up our rights so that we can maintain that relationship and then walk with that person who's still under that conviction and have that relationship so that we can show them, hey, here's what, here's what Scripture actually says. Here's what it looks like to live under grace. Here's what it looks like to live in freedom. And the hope is that we bring them to maturity. And you know what, for them, even in their maturity, they may say, yeah, I get that, but I still just can't bring myself to do that thing. I still can't bring myself to watch that rated R movie. I, I know it's, it's, you know it's just violence, it's gladiator, there's no sex, there's no language, but you know, I just can't bring myself to watch a rated R movie. It's just kind of a boundary that I've set. All right, that's great. You know what? I'm not going not gonna to force it on you. Paul says that our, lib- our liberty must be limited by our love. We fight for relationship. We fight for the relationship. And this is something that too often we forget as brothers and sisters in Christ that our job is not to fight with each other but to fight for each other. Just like we would in a marriage. We don't fight with our spouse. We fight for our spouse. And at this church, we choose to fight for relationship. We choose to fight for a relationship. So if there's something that's happening between you and someone else at this church, man, I encourage you to value that relationship enough to go and have the difficult conversation. To say, you know what, I love you, but here's where I'm struggling in our, in our relationship, and I want us to work this out. We're not leaving the room until we work this out, because I love you that much. No, I'm not going to leave and go to another church. I value the relationship too much. 
We're going to fight we're going to fight for each other. We're going to fight through this. It's a difficult thing. And what's crazy is that verse 10, when Paul says that their weak conscience, won't their weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? That's the exact same verse that we find in verse 1 about love builds up. He's saying, won't their conscience be built up to sin? One commentator says this is a ruinous building up. He's saying, hey, you may build them up to the point where they eat with you, but you haven't really matured them. You haven't done anything to see them grow closer to God. All you've done is get the outward behavior. And we know God is not impressed with our outward behavior if our attitudes and our motives are not in the right place. So Paul's saying we've got to limit our, our liberty with our love. We've got to lovingly put limits on our liberty. Now, again, this is not Paul saying that we need to submit to the legalists, the Pharisees in our midst. In fact, Galatians chapter 2, we read about Paul comes to Jerusalem and he sees Peter eating with only the Jewish believers. He won't associate with the Gentile friends that Paul's brought in. And so Paul confronts him. I love this about Paul. He goes over and he's like, hey, these guys are believers too. Why are you cutting them out? Why are you cutting these guys out and not eating with them? Like, this is wrong. You shouldn't do this. Like, come on. And this is Peter. So I imagine like Peter and Paul may have had a little bit of friction with each other sometimes. And Paul just calls him out on it. He says, this isn't right. He says, I don't care if I offend your legalism. In fact, I'm happy to do it. I'm more than happy to offend your legalism because it's stupid. Right? You've got to let those things go. But if it's going to cause someone to sin, man, I, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it if it's going to really bring someone to sin. There's a big difference between sin and legalism. Your lack of obedience, uh, your lack of obedience can cause, uh, this is the, the Jewish believers that were eating with, with Paul, I mean with Peter, were saying, hey, your lack of obedience causes us to stumble. And Peter's like, or Paul says, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You're just looking to be offended. Stop it. Grow up. Stop being offended. Grow up. You're not, you're not tempted to sin by them. Come on, guys. Come on. Paul, Paul really encourages that we would value love and relationship over knowledge. That we wouldn't pride ourselves in how much we know, but in how much we love. And if we really know God and we really put his word into practice, that will come through in our relationships. I want to give us just a couple things to consider. One, as we walk away from today, having the right to do something does not mean we are free to do it in every circumstance. We must consider how it affects other people. Having the right to do something doesn't mean that we're free to do it in every circumstance. We've got to consider what impact is this going to have on my brother or sister in Christ? How is this going to affect their walk with the Lord? Number two, Liberty in Christ can and should be voluntarily limited in order not to cause a weaker brother to sin by violating his conscience. As we said before, liberty must be limited by our love. Number three, maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of love may require you to give up your personal rights to something. Maintaining unity may require you to give up some of your rights. And I gotta be honest. 
When I read that last line where Paul says, hey, if this causes my brother or sister to sin, then I'll, I'll just never eat meat again. It's like, I don't know that I want to preach that. <laughs> that sounds really hard. There's a lot of stuff that I like to do that might, might not be a freedom for someone else. I don't know that I'm ready to do that. It's a challenge, but we ought to be willing to do that. One of the things that I love about our elder board and at this church is we always say this. We're looking for unity, not uniformity. We're looking for unity, not uniformity. We want to be bound together because of our love for one another and our love for the Lord. But that doesn't mean we all have to look alike, talk alike, dress alike. We want to be unified. We want to be unified, but that doesn't mean we all have to be the exact same. The last thing that I want to see is this. We should avoid anything that would make a weak Christian think less of his faith or that would make an unsaved person feel more at ease in his sin. Right? So when it comes to our freedoms, there's gray areas where we are absolutely free to do things. But if it's going to cause our weaker brother or sister to really struggle in their faith, break against their conscience and sin, or if it's going to cause an unbeliever to look at, at us as Christians and say, hey, the Christians are doing it, must be all right. We need to avoid those things. We need to avoid those things. We have to put some limits on our liberty. We may disagree, but we are all in this together. And I love that Paul is careful. He doesn't give either side a club which they can use to bludgeon each other. He balances out this whole thing. He says, look, you weaker brothers and sisters, you don't get to come back and tell everybody that they can't do this. But you stronger brothers and sisters, you don't get to make them feel bad for their convictions, for their conscience. You guys have to walk this line together to love one another, to give each other room in the grace of Jesus Christ. There are things that that are rights that we have, but our relationships should take priority. And I want to ask you, what what are you willing to give up for someone that you love? What are you willing to give up for someone that you love? There are some really hard things, and I, I wish... You know, I mentioned a couple of examples, movies, alcohol, music, dancing. You know, some of these things for people are a real struggle. For some people, it's not a big deal to, hey, Powerball, $1 billion. I'll take some of that action for two bucks, right? And then there's other people who would say, man, I came out of a life of of addiction to gambling. I I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm sorry, you guys want to have a pool, try to get, get some more winnings? I, I just, I'm out. We've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm sorry we brought that up. Hey, we're not, we're not going to talk about it again. In fact, let's just skip this one. Let's just skip this one. Right? We've got to be willing to love one another, to let those things go. What are you willing to give up for those that you love, that we could maintain the unity of Jesus Christ? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the unity that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have freedom. Lord, we pray that we would value each other more than we value our freedoms, that we would choose to love in the right ways, to demonstrate that we have true knowledge of God through the way that we love one another, not trying to impress each other with our knowledge of the Bible or our knowledge of the freedoms that we have and the way that we live them out, but that we would choose to love one another. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As our ushers prepare for the offering this morning, uh,
I just want to draw your attention to the insert in your bulletin about small groups. We believe uh, firmly in small groups here at River Rock Bible Church. We always say that life happens in circles and not in rows. So if you're only showing up on Sunday morning and uh, listening to some awesome worship and some uh, mediocre preaching, then you are missing out. Uh, You're missing out on what this church has to offer when it comes to life and when it comes to relationship. We believe firmly. It's really hard to read Scripture without realizing that our relationship with God is both horizontal and vertical. That there's a vertical relationship that we have with God, but there is a horizontal relationship that we have with each other that uh, that we need to be walking in. If we're going to truly claim that we love God, we need to be walking with each other in love. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not yet in a small group, that you would check out that list that's there um, and that you would find one of those small groups to connect with. And this is what we say. You could try as many small groups as you like until you find the right one for you. Just because you attend Stephen's group one week doesn't mean you're stuck there forever. You can come to the best group that happens to meet on Wednesday nights. Uh, You can go to some other group and check out the other groups and say, you know what, I want to try all of them. See which one's the best fit. That's great. We just encourage you to to find one that works for you and for your family. And really feel what it's like to be loved by other people, to have them walk through uh, your journey with them. Uh, As we prepare for the offering, I'll ask you to take out your connection card if you have that. This is something that really helps us stay in touch with you, helps us get information to you, lets you know about what's happening here at River Rock Bible Church. Also lets us know that you are here with us uh, so that we don't track you down and say, hey, uh, we haven't seen you in a while because sometimes we miss faces. And uh, it just helps us know that you are here with us today. If you're a visitor, we would love for you to fill that out. And then if you will see, Angela is going to be back at the connections table right there. And she will have a gift for you if you're a first-time guest with us. And I do want to remind you, even if you're a first-time guest and you haven't signed up for the Newcomers Gathering, go ahead and join us out there at the portable after we close. Uh, At this time, I just want to remind everybody, if you're a visitor, don't feel compelled to give. If you're a member or a regular attender, uh, we appreciate your faithfulness in giving. Uh, And if you'd like to give but you're not prepared to, you can always give online at riverrockbible.com. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather to try to understand better the freedom that we have in Christ and the way that you call us to use our freedom not as an excuse to sin or to cause others to sin, uh, Lord, but freedom to really build one another up and to love one another well. We ask that as we do that, it would be a testimony to the greatness of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we would be able to spread the good news of your Son both here in Georgetown and to the ends of the earth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.